You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Community Pulse. I'm Mary Thangball, one of your hosts, and today we're here talking about lessons learned from organizing tech events. So from challenges or tips that we have for you on organizing meetups or conferences or company events or whatever type of tech event that you're organizing and responsible for, we're going to be chatting with a few guests about things that you can learn from our mistakes and our challenges and things that we've run into along the way. But before we get started, I wanted to call out our sponsor, IBM. Are you building cloud applications with Java, AI, machine learning, serverless, and containers? IBM Developer provides a large number of code patterns, sample applications, articles, tutorials, and videos to help you build faster. All code is available on GitHub. You can incorporate any code into existing applications or use it to start a new application. Simply go to developer.ibm.com to access IBM Developer resources and start building. Find us on Twitter at IBM Developer. Thank you, IBM. Thank you, IBM. Thank you, IBM. <laughs> Thanks, IBM. So we've got a couple special guests with us here today. Um, first up is Aaron Aldrich. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself, Aaron? Sure. So um, I am a developer advocate at Elastic. Um, so working on the community team there and doing all sorts of uh, travel and, and trying to, to see what sort of new ways we can engage with folks in the Elastic community. Um, outside of that, I'm also the organizer and sort of founding organizer for both the DevOps CT meetup group and the DevOps Days Hartford uh, conference as well. And I have lots of board games and uh, enjoy playing music. So if that's your jam, I'll talk about that all day as well. <laughs> Awesome. And Quintessence, what about you? Um, I actually am one of the founding members and founding organizers for DevOps Days Buffalo along with PJ. And I'm also founding organizer for what's called Inclusive Tech Buffalo, which is a new initiative we started this year in order to assist our local community with getting underrepresented minorities into technology. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks both of you for joining us. And real quick, because Quinn is being very humble, um, <laughs> she also helped organize both Code Days events, both Nickel City Ruby events. So she has a lot under her belt, um, not to mention a bunch of hackathons and, and stuff around the city. So she's been around. This is not, this isn't, she's not new to the game. Fair enough. And if we're extending into meetups, I have a whole bunch of those as well, because formerly I was a, a leader for Girl Develop at Buffalo for four years, running classes and meetups through that to expand my portfolio quite a bit. And I'm currently doing that for Logs.io. Awesome. Great, well, thanks cool. for joining us, both of you. And I think we've got a fair amount of event experience between the three of us as well, right? Yeah. I know we've both, I think, I think we've all helped both with volunteer and community run events as well as corporate events. Is that true? I think that's accurate. I know that I've, I've done uh, Distill, which was Engine Yard's uh, original conference on the essence of development, which is corporate. Um, I've done a bunch of local community events here in Buffalo. I've helped with uh, both Collision and Web Summit for the Web Summit team um, and some of the uh, 
the events that are done by All for One Events, which is a, a PHP community group. They do uh, Mid-Atlantic uh, Developers Conference, PHP Tech, PHP World, and the Coder Cruise. Cool. Jason, what about you? Yeah, DevOps Days, Rockies was kind of the first big one um, for me, but there's been lots of little smaller events. There was a DevOps road trip that we put on at Victor Ops, uh, kind of went around the country. And of course, now that I'm over at Microsoft, it's like uh, bigger, just sort of scale events. And so I feel like I've seen the 50 people meetups or less all the way up to, you know, several hundred thousand um, to some degree have been involved with uh, getting those things pulled together. So. Yeah, yeah, I think we've got some experience. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I did redeploy last year, which we talked a little bit about on here. Um, I helped out with ChefConf peripherally, although there were there was another team on the marketing team that took care of that, which was awesome. Um, yeah. And then going all the way back to O'Reilly, for me, I was a big part of the Velocity team there. Um, so, I mean, between, what, the five of us on this call, we've got probably a dozen different conferences at, at, um, at least, at least. <laughs> exactly which leads me to the first major question that popped into my mind when we started talking about this podcast was how do we know if and when an event is actually necessary there are so many conferences happening these days so many events happening how do we know if the work and effort and money that it takes to put on a conference is actually worth doing with all of the other events that are out there I, look, I was going to say, if you are aware of, well, the community pulse, huh? um, <laughs> you, you start to feel a certain amount of, of pressure for a lack of, of something. Um, so, for example, back with Nickel City Ruby, when those conferences were being planned, Ruby as a language was kind of hitting its peak popularity. We were in the community of Buffalo. We, and to roll that back a little bit for some out of context, in the community of Buffalo, STEM initiatives have been gaining steam because it's one of the best industries to bring into an area with minimal infrastructure change. So people have really latched on to supporting STEM initiatives. And so when things like Ruby picked up and we were like, oh, if we bring this out to the community, this is something that's now common in the industry. So it's a valuable skill and then we can teach and retain talent and then you start to kind of feel that as you're as you're talking to people. Um, I don't know if PJ, you want to jump in with that, but it was similar for Code Days. I feel where people wanted something different, so Nickel City Ruby became Code Days, but notably did not stay focused on Ruby. Right. I, I mean, it was it was kind of a, an outgrowth where we started. Um, we started with the meetups, and you know, we had the Ruby meetup, and there was like a PHP meetup, and maybe a couple other meetups. But those meetups started to grow and we wanted something bigger and to bring, you know, the big names into town to talk um, because that's right. something we didn't have. So it was, it was kind of a natural outreach. And I think that's, that's where you, you, you might use the word necessary. Is it necessary to grow this thing bigger, excuse me, to turn it in from a small event into a big event? And that's kind of what we tried to do. And, and I think, like Quinn said, kind of evolved over time. But the whole idea has been like, let's get the talented people we have to meet with the talented people that we don't have to find the talented people that don't know that they're talented and bring them all together in one place and make it happen. And then all kind of grabbing onto that, then you have like startup weekends that spun up, not because of us specifically, but just again, community pressure, because what happens when you get a bunch of developers, but there's no one to hire them. Mm -hmm. 
you need you need to have people who want to invest and work on projects and things like that so that they have tasks to do. Otherwise, we're training them in Ruby, Python or whatever, and they're going out to one of the larger tech hub cities and we've just, you know, helped them. Um, but it doesn't help us locally. So you feel that kind of pressure too. Well, and I think that's a key, right, is that there's there are a lot of conferences springing up, but there are a lot of local events springing up because yes. I think so many of us who are in DevRel forget that it's really not easy for someone to sell a $3,000 conference in a major city where it's going to be five grand to spend the week there in a hotel. And then you add on the plane cost and then you add on the cost of the conference, right? Like you're talking eight grand for someone to travel to a city, spend the week at a conference, attend the conference, be in the hotel, eat the food, everything else. And a lot of companies are starting to say that's, that's not worth it. So I think some of the need is just let's, let's open up these opportunities locally so that we can serve our community who is here and not have to send people off to these major, bigger conferences. Right. I, I think the difference there, like when you talk about, you know, instead of spending the money, then it, where it's going to be eight grand per person, and you're probably going to want to send more than one person, let's be honest mm -hmm. about it, or spending five grand on sponsoring a conference is going to bring those people that your person or people wants to see, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's like, hell yeah, sponsor the conference. Right. It was um, that, that local need was a lot of my motivation for why – I, why, why did I want to do a DevOps days in, in Connecticut, right? We had stuff in uh, Boston, New York, but even Boston, New York, they're expensive cities to, to stay in for a while. So the closest for us was a couple hour drive. Then you've got to, if you're driving, you got to find parking, which is might as well be ridiculous in both those cities, but, uh, and, and lodging and you've got to go to there. So, and you're meeting a community that gets together regularly that you're not really a part of. You're kind of just on the fringes of either of those. Um, so for me, seeing a lot of people, you know, meeting folks at both of these that travel from Connecticut and travel from these other places, I said, why don't we have our own hub uh, where folks can be local and run the conference here? And uh, it, right, it gives an opportunity for local places to sponsor it instead of spending thousands of dollars. But it also gives the opportunity for folks that might not want, they, they want to be home at the end of the day. And they might want to invest a couple hundred bucks, the couple days off, or they get the, the days off from their regular work routine and they can attend it and go home and be with their family at the end of the day. And, and I think that push towards local is awesome. Like, I think that's a, a huge motivating factor for why to have events places. I know for me, when I was doing DevOps Days Rockies, it was kind of the same feel, uh, same feeling. Um, it just felt like there was, um, like there was people already getting together, having meetups and they were getting larger and larger. Um, and I think, so there's the, the, aspect of its the altruistic side but then there's also I know for me personally there's also the personal side like uh, I want to put on a conference that would serve my own needs you know like here's all the things that I want to learn and I can't be a, you know traveling to all these places so how can I just dr bring all these smart people to me mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's also like the other side of the coin is is you know even when we get down to the, log the logistics of the conferences themselves like we've been to some really bad ones and we've been to some awesome ones and we kind of steal the things that we like and sprinkle that into our own little, you know, mad mad scientist kit and see what we can do. Well, you kind you kind of you kind of tap on something there, Jason. I think it's interesting from an organizer's perspective, especially for those of us that are also in DevRel and get to travel. Like we kind of get to see the best of talks. We get to see what our friends are doing, and so kind of in a little bit. Not going to lie here. This is. I'm sorry if this is giving away the secret sauce. In a way, organizing your own conference is your opportunity to say, I'm going to invite all my friends. So they could come to my city and we could have a good time and I could show them what's awesome about my city. 
that also happens to benefit everyone in my local community. Um, well, exactly. it's out. Yep. See, sorry, folks. That's the <laughs> truth. I just want to see my friends, well, and we don't get to hang out that much. So I invite him to Buffalo. I'd be lying if I didn't already have plans to bring all the DevOps days, Buffalo speakers, whomever they are, to my favorite coffee place here. <laughs> I, you look at the zero surprise on my face, Quinn. <laughs> well, I don't think there's well, much else we need to talk about. Thank you for another episode of <laughs> The Truth is out there, folks. So, so there you go. How do you determine there's need is, uh, well, I haven't seen my friends in a while, so I guess I'll <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a certain self-confidence too though and some of that's not natural depending on your background and who you are because when you say oh I have a need and I should bring people to me to fill that need you have a certain amount of confidence where you're like people will be there to fill my need as opposed to you know addressing some other like confidence issues that can appear in a community where someone's like I have a need but no one else is doing this thing because you're just you're you're just wired to assume and I think, yeah. I think that's, that's the big difference too between doing a conference and having a meetup. Like you might have a need for a meetup and that's very easy to put together. It doesn't cost much. It's easy to, you know, you buy a little pizza and say, hey, listen, everybody's into this thing. Cool. We'll all meet about it. But to do a conference, like you're putting a lot of money on the line. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts. And if you aren't right, like this is a need that you thought you saw, but people don't agree you're going to end up holding a fairly large bag and that bag is going to be filled with bills and invoices. It's a yeah. lot of other people's money too, which makes it a little more, yeah. more or less pressure for you, I guess, depending on your personality type. But right. um, I feel like there's one other thing I just, I just thought of that might be a, just a, I don't know, a common component or common thread for all of us is I imagine all of us have always kind of liked putting together get togethers, whether that's just like, you know, organizing dinner for a small group of people or, I don't know, just pool parties in the summer, like whatever it is, we've always been sort of getting people together to do fun stuff. And there's something that's really um, neat when you take like kind of two different groups that are, that you are the hub for and you get them to start mingling and like all the different side projects that come out of that. And so anyway, just, I still feel like that's maybe in the altruistic category for me, but um, just that's something that I think all of us have always sort of enjoyed doing is making connections with other people and seeing what that does. Well, Absolutely. and I mean that, that drives back to why we're in community, right? Like community is all about making connections among the people that you know and among your company and among people who can help each other. And I think part of the drive that I've seen for the, the more localized events is people are wanting to not just run into people who are doing what they're doing at big major tech hub cities, right? They want to see those people in their local area. They want to build that local community that exists outside of the conference. And so when you're pulling together, you know, DevOps stays Hartford, right? Like it's pulling people primarily from that area. And sure, you get to invite some of the speakers and you get to choose who's coming. And some people are flying in from outside of that community but at the end of the day, when that conference is done, people get to go home and they can call up someone to meet up for coffee the next week that they met up at the conference right. rather than having to be like, well, see you next year if you can convince your boss to send you back to the conference again, right? Yeah. And it, again, for those of us who travel so much, like we get to see more people and we're at more conferences. That's not the norm, right? Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's absolutely was, I, I guess, from an altruistic perspective, my motivation for trying to bring that community together. Um, 
yeah, and that's why I like the local conference, right? So this group of people gets to meet and then, hey, you just met a bunch of people that either work with you, sometimes directly. I don't know how many times I've seen more than one person at a large org meet each other at a conference, which is kind of hilarious and wonderful. Um, but also, uh, you know, find out other people that are doing similar things and you can kind of build this, this grander group that, that hopefully someone there is getting together for coffee and extra time after the, the conference. Right. Right. Um, I enjoy, I mean, my uh, local, I guess, uh, industry demographic is very old, established, regulated industry too. So I just enjoy bringing like, let's talk about hug ops <laughs> to a bunch of corporate people who are all wearing like business casual and looking to go home at the end of the day. So that's just my, my enjoyment too. Absolutely. So that actually well, so brings up. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead Jason. <laughs> okay. Um, so, well, I was thinking as we were talking about crafting like our perfect conferences, I think a lot of that is, is we have learned what, you know, we don't really want to happen or some things that we've uh, maybe lessons that we've learned. So, uh, maybe take it to Quinn, like if you've got any, I don't know, really big things that you've learned over the years of putting together events that you always try to avoid or, or always try to make happen? So the, the top level advice is always the worst thing to say because it sounds obvious. And the top level advice is communication is important, which everybody's like, we all know that. So to dr drive down a little bit more, I've kind of become de facto food assistants for conferences because this I started This is 100% true. <laughs> this is 100% true. So I have one food allergy, but as happens when you have one bit of oddity to you, all the questions come to you and you suddenly develop a skill set that you did not know you had. Um, so now I know things about all sorts of things like paleo, keto, vegan, vegan, vegetarian, the differences between those two, kosher, halal, and so forth. And the reason this is relevant, you're planning a conference, do you ask people their dietary needs and do they come back at you and say, okay, well, I'm vegetarian. And so you call the venue and say, hey, food provider, however that works, you know, do you have vegetarian meals? And they say yes. And you go, yay, everything is happy. And then the day of appears and they're like, oh, we thought that the cup of fruit was vegetarian. And they're not wrong, but you have two 12-hour <laughs> days. And they are basically, because you didn't dive in and make sure that you, what you thought you meant and what they thought you meant were the same thing, they, there's now this situation until it's rectified where you have a person who's trying to exist through two 12-hour days on a tiny cup of fruit because that is the only thing that applies to them. Um, so the conversation for something like that might go, you know, okay, do you support vegetarian diets? Yes. Okay, what meal offerings specifically will you have for breakfast and lunch or whatever, whatever ones you are or are not covering. And then at the very least, you know, you know, what they can actually do for you in their kitchen. Similarly for allergies, you know, sometimes a person might be food avoidant as is common with gluten in the U S which is not the same as if I eat this, it will wreck my day. Um, and so if you have a, an attendee that's going to show up with an allergy, you need to know so you can know whether you can promise them that you can help or feed them for the day or not, or if you're going to offer them a stipend or not to make up for it or however, however you're going to work it out. Um, but you need to know that there's something to work out when they're registering instead of after the fact. And so that goes down to communication and making sure not only are you putting your need out there, but that it's being received the way you thought you were sending it out into the universe. And I think that applies to communication across the board, right? Like, 
communication between the organizers, communication between the organizers and the vendors, communication between the, the vendors and your events person who's doing all the on-site stuff, right? Like I, I found myself probably annoyingly so <laughs> verifying and re-verifying like, okay, this acronym means this thing. And based on that acronym and this schedule, that's when this thing's happening, right? Okay, good. Awesome. We're all on the same page, but just overemphasizing, like we're all coming from a different place. We're all coming with different motivations, making sure that we all completely understand what is going on and when it's happening so that there's the least amount of stress on the day of. Well, and I think that's an interesting thing too, because you're, you're throwing these conferences locally and you kind of assume, especially like, I mean, for me, I grew up in Buffalo. So when I call a food vendor, I, I kind of have this expectation to know exactly like we're speaking the same language here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not always true. And that's exactly why like Quinn started like the first nickel city Ruby. She was like, Hey, can I help with food? And we were like, yeah, I mean, how hard could food be? <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, yeah. As evidenced by the fact that I did not ask her to help with food for the first code days, Mary, you were there. You may have seen her running around fixing my mistake. <laughs> because I said, you offer vegetarian meals. And they said, yes. And apparently that meant the side salad and mashed potatoes. Yeah. 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 The I vegetarian like example was very, very specific. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think too, that the, the communication, um, reaches out to the audience too, like whatever you can tell them ahead of time to save the questions the day of, or, you know, the panicked questions leading into the event. Um, you can like, you can definitely under communicate, um, just to the people that are, you know, trying to make it to your event, like exactly where they're supposed to go, which door on the building is the one that they go into. Is there parking? Is there parking? Um, you know, if they don't remember what the lunch situation was because it was six months ago that they bought their ticket, what is the, what is this, lunch situation should I be packing my own just things you know I it's it's just avoiding making assumptions that people know and that they read every one of your emails and they see all your tweets I think we sometimes think that all of our communications out to the attendees are caught but they're not that may have something to do with working in yeah working in DevRel and thinking to ourselves hey everyone's looking at me constantly or they should be (laughs) I have the mic listen to what I'm talking about like, yeah. I feel like the good rule of thumb is, is assume that zero of your outbound emails have been read, right? Like it, everyone sort of reads it and says, oh, good, right. That event's happening. Okay, I'll get there at this date. Uh, but yeah, I, I've always made it a, a point to try and include sort of the overall logistics in at least a summary email that goes out, you know, like a week before or something like that. But that's not the only place it gets communicated, right? Like it should be communicated right before you're doing everything. Like great. Did you park with us? We pay for parking. Come see this person to get your pass if you have not done that already. And inevitably there will still be someone at the end of the day looking for it. Um, or like, here's how lunch is going to work. Here's what this is. Here's our schedule for the day. Uh, just because it's, you know, it's, it's nice to have that summary email. I, I always enjoy it because I can go back and reference what's going on, but also it's nice to be told what's happening next because you probably have 10 other things that you're thinking about and can't remember that summary email or where you put it at that point in time. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that goes back to the, like, all of us have been to many, many conferences and have had this experience many times. And for me, that summary email goes straight into the TripIt event for that day. So I know exactly, here's the place that I have to go. Here's the place that I check in. Here's my itinerary for the day. And we're good, right? 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think a big, uh, to kind of level off that bin to events, I think it's big to communicate with your speakers too. Um, having been on both sides of that, I've, I've been the speaker at conferences where I've gotten basically no communication and I just cool. sort of showed up and like, I guess here's where I am on the schedule. Should I be there early? Like what's going on? Uh, and I've been at those conferences that are, are the opposite, right? Like here is your speaker room. Can we get you a drink of water? You know, like be here at yeah. this precise time. You know, We have someone who will escort you to the stage. Please get into this, this golf cart. Um, <laughs> Those are more rare, but you know what? I, I hate to say as, as independent and free-willed of a person as I am, when I'm at a conference, if I have someone telling me where I need to be like an hour before and an hour after my talk, and they're willing to escort me to the point where I'm supposed to be because there's multiple stages, all the better. All hey, can the you better. tell me when the CFPs are for these events? I've never heard of such a thing. Um, <laughs> most of them are talk. not. Yeah, <laughs> most of them are not CFP events. Um, um, wow. Well, well. Okay. Well, I think Jason is trying to I'll say that we're available for that event if you need someone to be driven around. Invite only, I guess. Sounds like it. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep you all posted. talking about like, like venue logistics too, when you're, when you're signing the contract, I think as a, as a people, we have now become conditioned to like skimming things because terms of service. Oh yeah. Um, but then you might find out interesting things like, for example, the venue that we're using for DevOps Days Buffalo, and they were pretty upfront about everything. So this is in no way picking on them. But if you have more than 50 people, they require valet parking because they're just like, no. Um, and, you know, from their perspective, that makes sense. But it's also good to know that that gets rolled in. Um, I was listening to someone earlier today that apparently they're using a venue for whatever their event is and it's newer and renovated. So the venue has a no stickers rule, which once she said that other people start piping up. Yeah, we've encountered that too. Um, that's important for sponsors to know if your venue has a restriction on something they could very probably be using as swag um, and things like that. Yeah, I know that, um, I've, I've been to events where they're, they're very specific, especially stickers is a big thing yeah. um, because very easily you can hand someone a sticker and two minutes later, it's now stuck to something that shouldn't have a sticker on it. Right. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's luckily there's, there's ways to avoid that. There's buttons and there's, you know, I know t-shirts are so passe, but t-shirts um, there's, there's other ways to get your swag out there. I think the more difficult thing in that place is, and it goes back to what you're saying, Quinn, about communication it's so making sure your sponsors know what they can and cannot bring. Right. Right. And how to handle shipping. That's always one thing. Uh, yes. With Especially with yes. bigger events. Bigger events in please, union towns are difficult. Please let me ship stuff to you if you're running an event. <laughs> <laughs> so going back for a second, I mean, we've all got our wish lists of here's the things that I would love to have at a conference, you know. How do you narrow those down? How do you make sure that you can actually do the things that are necessary, but then how do you narrow down your, your wish list of items? <laughs> Budget. <laughs> I was going to say dollars, yep. exactly. But I think it's a matter of finding out. Um, so this is actually, I have a meeting tonight to talk about DevOps Days Hartford 2019. Uh, and the gist of it is, what are the things that we, what, what do we need, right? What do we need to have this conference work? and be what we want it to be. And then where, what are all the luxury items after that, right? And it's, uh, there's a certain budget that comes along with it that usually we're behind the budget until like the month before, and that's when all the luxury items start coming out. And we can start adding those back to the list uh, from there. So I, I think it's really that, you know, it follows that minimum viable conference 
strategy mm-hmm. of like, what do I need to make this event I want? And then what would I like to have to make it, you know, extra? And then we can be extra as long as we have no sponsors. Yeah, I, th- I think the key there is, is yeah, what, I mean, the things that you need, you need a venue, um, you need speakers, but that doesn't cost you any money. Um, unless you are an event where you're going to pay for keynoters or what have you. Um, and you need, um, what did I already say? Venue and food. And those are the very basic things that you need. Um, yeah. Other than a speaker, I, hopefully attendees, the venue. Probably. Attendees well, would be nice. And AV. I mean, even if you don't publish the videos later, you need someone to mic up and right. be well, here. I mean, hopefully the assumption is, I was just going to say that's tied into the venue. Because I feel like these days, nine times out of ten, it is unless you're going with somewhere that's really unusual or some kind of like weird like folk situation. You talk about AV. Like a library. <laughs> I say this with love. I still love the library. I still love the library, but the AV is a separate concern. I would say AV is a good one to, to think about that seems like a given that will surprise you. Um, it happened for our, our event last year that is now on our radar of things to follow up in detail with where we had uh, AV was handled by the venue, but it's a music venue. So their audio was spectacular. No feedback at all. Everyone was crystal clear. Uh, video was a hot mess. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely something to think about, right? Like you, you think, oh, they've got AV. And then you find out the day of like, well, everything's VGA and, and sort of held together by duct tape. and analog splitters and you're like uh okay let's go for it please see code days one (laughs) well but i so aaron i really like what you were talking about with the minimum viable conference thing and i know that's something that paul and i did with redeploy as well um and i have a blog post that i put out a couple weeks ago that kind of talks about some of that and having that perspective of like here are the things that we have to have, right? Like I, I would not want my name on this conference if it didn't have right. X, Y, and Z and then throw out sponsorships for the other items, right? Like one of the things that came up that I really was invested in personally because it helps me as I'm live tweeting, but also because I know that it helps other folks was, um, having captioning for the talks, but it was one of those things where we were sitting there going, that's, it's expensive to hire someone to come in to do captioning. We can't in good conscience put that in the MVP, but if I can sell a sponsorship for it, okay. (laughs) And we sold a sponsorship for it and got the captioning done. So it was, it was a really, it made it a lot more simple to be like, here's the things that we draw a line on. Here's the things that we will have. And if you know, we'll, we'll figure it out hell high water. And if, you know, the other things happen too, great. But here's, here's the minimum viable product we are willing to, to distribute. I think we've all been through enough events that we all could probably just sit here and rattle off all of the things that are, you know, the minimums and then also the nice to haves. But do you, does, uh, do any of you have like a list, an actual list that you kind of keep handy just to jog your memory or, or, and parts, part two of this question. Uh, maybe specifically for you, Aaron, are you referencing a retrospective that you had on the event last year as you discuss what you're going to work on? Or is this, again, just kind of off the top of the head requests? Probably uh, probably a bit of both. Um, where uh, we, we do have a retrospective, actually, we're going to go off of that I, I at least used and encouraged other organizers to use as a, a mental sort of dump the day of, just a Google Doc that they could open up and type into. 
of like, oh yeah, think about this for next year, or this went great, we should do that again, or this is really terrible, we should reconsider it for next year. Um, so we have that document that we're going to be referencing as far as the, the specific logistics. Um, but I think it's also, um, every group is, is slightly new, right? So it's worth walking through what do we want to actually occur on the event? Like what's our timeline and what do we need to happen here? Um, to make sure we're all in agreement of what the event looks like day one so that we can be in agreement of how to make it happen uh, going on. So it's, it's worth walking through that. Um, but I don't have like an MV, MVC, I guess, list. Um, I, I sort of subscribe to, I think what uh, DevOps Days Austin pulled off in their retrospective, like really we need speakers and attendees and everything else kind of falls in place and like a place to put them. And like, that's really the minimum that we need. Like, let's all address how we actually want it to, to look and, and how we want that to happen. Because, I mean, I'd be thrilled throwing a DevOps days that's like all open spaces all day long, but um, probably harder to convince people to pay for a ticket for that. It's a good point. I mean, it's interesting to say like that. It's all you need. And I think it'd be interesting to even throw an event and be like, listen, we don't have a specific venue. Um, we don't have a specific schedule. But what we do have is speakers and attendees. The ultimate unconference. Let's go. Let's go for it and see what happens. We're not even sure which one of them's on the stage. We're good. Yeah. DJ, exactly. Are you announcing your next conference right now? L listen, I, <laughs> I think we all know I will throw a conference at the drop of anyone else's hat, but mine. Um, <laughs> I have so many great ideas for conferences that may or may not happen in my lifetime. We'll have to see. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it goes back to the first question where we started all of this. Are they necessary? Is it necessary for me to throw a conference that takes place overnight in a laser tag facility where everyone wears pajamas and we call it PJ conf? Is that necessary? <laughs> oh, Is that necessary or just a really great idea? <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Also, they have go-karts. Just toss it. Okay. Priorities. Priorities. Yeah, you got to think about these things. Um, but Yeah. So I actually have one question that's near and dear to my heart as we kind of start to wrap up this episode. Um, how do you set boundaries in order to make sure that you're keeping a healthy work-life balance while you're planning and running a conference? I don't think I've once successfully done that. I was going to say, I'm watching Aaron start laughing. I'm going I'm to second, laughing. I'm second Aaron on that. No. Uh, it, it would be great to, uh, but I think the reality is um, – at least talking about the, the week lead up and the actual execution of the conference, I feel like so many of those details come up that no matter how many times you've organized it, just require immediate attention and have dramatically sharp deadlines of like, I need to get this order in today or there aren't shirts. Like that just doesn't, they just don't occur. Um, so it just becomes a lot more interrupt driven, on call style. Everything is on fire. I must complete it work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do, you, how do you handle that? How do you manage it? How do you make sure that by the time you get to the end of the conference, you weren't completely burned out and never wanting to do anything ever again? I mean, uh, what? go ahead. I was just gonna say, if you have the option, it doesn't hurt to schedule a vacation day or something or two, depending on how long you've been burning at both ends. Well, I, I've always been a, a big fan for that reason of doing either Thursday, Friday or Friday, Saturday conferences. So that it guarantees that not only you, but your attendees and your speakers have a day. They might have to travel. It depends. But have that day built in to chill. Um, 
I also feel like every time, like the first day during registration, first day, I swear to God, I'm never going to do this again. I'm like, this is never happening. I hate it. Why did I ever sign up for it? Conferences are dumb. Why are we doing this? But then by like, you know, like four o'clock the next day, I'm like, yeah, I guess we should do this again. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say for for me the the hardest lesson was uh, like proper delegation and and sharing the oh my god everything's on fire load. Uh, that was the the major mistake I made the first year I ran DevOps Days Hartford was I just I had so much of the vision in my head and didn't properly share it that it meant that I was the person handling a lot of the details for everything, mm-hmm. um, which was okay in that it happened, but it also meant that I was completely done for like four days after the conference and couldn't like do anything. Um, and last year I did much better, partially because I've, I've done it before and there's a lot less, uh, groundbreaking and a lot more, oh yeah, this is how we do that. Um, but also because I, I found a group of people that I could delegate and say, Hey, you are in charge of this aspect of the conference. You are empowered to make all the decisions for it. If you have questions, feel free to ask me, but you don't have to ask me before you make a choice or a decision to move forward. And, um, just unloading a lot of that decision-making burden was huge for, for being able to execute the conference in a mentally stable way. <laughs> I think something that works pretty well for me is, is um, in, in terms of trying to find balance, you know, I don't have like families or anything like that, but there's things that I like to do when I have the time. And I and think rather than trying to time box the work that needs to be done for the event, like into like, you know, an hour or two a night and then go live my personal life. I kind of flip it around where I say, here's, I want to play guitar for a couple hours tonight, or I want to go do something with some friends, like time boxing my personal stuff and then letting the conference really just fill in the gaps because I'm going to be working on that stuff pretty much all the time anyway. Um, so, but the other way, or, you know, doing it that way, at least I, I know I'm setting aside time to do the other things that are kind of, you know, trying to keep me in, in, in line a little better. I like that. I like that a lot. Cool. Also, just power through the thing with a case of Jolt Cola. You'll be fine. What's <laughs> your favorite latte? It'll be good. <laughs> One of these days, we'll come back with an advertisement spot from Jolt Cola. <laughs> Anyways. Well, so, cool. I think we're about at time. All righty. So we're going to move into our checkouts portion. Um, so this is part of the show, if you're familiar with the show, where we kind of mention some things that we've seen or heard lately or read lately, things that are interesting to us. Um, They may or may not be community related, they may or may not be tech related, um, but something that has interested us over the last few weeks. Um, Anyone wanna kick us off before I start telling people that they're going? I could could go first. I will be the example. Um, so for a while now, I think everybody knows I like to, to share my music. Uh, I have a whole like album of the day thing going on on Twitter. Um, uh, and it's interesting because when you share music now, like it used to be like, you know, if I wanted to share music with Mary, I would literally give Mary a tape or a CD that I had made and been like, check out this band. Um, we don't live in those days anymore, sadly or better, whatever. Um, but the problem is I might want to share some music with Mary and Jason, but Mary uses Spotify and Jason is an Apple music user. So luckily, a friend of mine, um, he lives in Ireland, his name is Jonathan Kremen, created this thing called Combine.fm. And what you do is you take the link to share the music, and it will share it on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, Deezer, Google Play, pretty much everything. Um, if it doesn't have it, it doesn't have it. It does its best because he did this. It's all open source. Um, but the project is called Combine.fm. It's absolutely amazing. 
And uh, if you really like it, you can say thank you to him on Twitter. He goes by at kudos, K-U-D-O-S. Um, and I did use it because I also, my other checkout is uh, one of my favorite bands, Alexis on Fire. Um, broke up a while ago, got back together for a couple shows, just released a single on February 15th called Familiar Drugs. Uh, really good. Great to have them back kind of on the scene again, hailing from uh, St. Catharines, Ontario. Uh, and I've added the link will be in the show notes and you should check it out. It's a very good tune and hopefully they'll be coming out with an album soon. So that is what I have for my checkouts. Who would like to go next? Huh. All right, I'll go. All right. Uh, so uh, my first one is, is completely shameless plug for my own podcast, which I think is fair that I, I can do that. But uh, the as, last- as, as a guest, you are 100% okay. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I guess it'd be weird if you plugged another podcast, but uh, the Elasticast exists. It is the uh, Elast the podcast you've been searching for uh, from me and some other folks at Elastic. Yeah, it's a good joke. Um, but uh, yeah, check that out if you're at all in the Elastic verse. Sometimes we chat about things other than that as well, but usually it's stuff vaguely related to Elastic, but good conversations with good folks, either uh, internal or external, that are just doing interesting things. So that's a good one. Um, you don't uh, have to have to. You're not required to have to. Just to have. How about any of those board games behind you? You can recommend to us. What's yes. Your oh, that's what it was. Uh, so I just played Clank uh, this weekend uh, with a friend of mine. It's Clank with an exclamation point, and there's also a Clank in space where all three words have exclamation points. Uh, and it's a total like dungeon crawl, grab the treasure and escape the dragon type game uh, all while you're trying to be quiet so the clank is the noise that you make while you go there and increases your chances of being consumed by dragons uh loads of fun totally recommend it cool, cool. How are you, Quinn? so i have two one is a shameless plug which is i'm going to be speaking in boston at hops and ops which is an event that my employer logs.io is going to be co-hosting with chaos search and threat stack and i definitely encourage anyone in the boston area to attend the event it's free there's going to be free alcohol wow and other sodas and snacks and it's going to be at boston beer works so i mean you know it's cool it's march 12th and it's going to start at 5:30. And then the other shameless plug is for DevOps Days Buffalo, which is going to be September 25th and 27th. So mark your calendars and then come CPJ and I. Also, the CFP, CFP is open. So CFP is open. Cool. That leaves me, I think. Um, and, and Jason. So, Jason gets to go too. Oh, right. Sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, you call on someone else. So I was in my mind, you had said something already. <laughs> Uh, well, shameless plug for me, I've been doing some blogging and some retrospective about uh, redeploy and my experience um, organizing it last year and some lessons that I learned and some things that I learned with Paul along the way. Um, I've got two of those blog posts out already. I've got a third one that will likely be out end of this week. So all three of those links will be in the show notes. Um, there should be some news about Redeploy 2019 release soon too, so heads up about that. Um, and then the completely unrelated to anything else checkout that I have for today, um, that if you've asked for any headphone suggestions, uh, noise canceling headphones in particular lately, um, I've had the, the Bose QuietComfort 35 II. 
or however you want to say it, QC35. Yeah, PJ's laughing at me. Um, I've had those for a while and they have been saving me these last few weeks when I just need to absolutely focus. Um, and I'll use them at home. I use them on planes. I love them on planes because it cuts out the plane noise, but they've been super helpful at home as well um, for just kind of digging in and getting some focus driven work done. So that's my checkout for today. Thank you, Bose. We love, we love your sponsorship. It's solid, solid. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, I got a couple. Um, first one is an app, an iOS app. I'm, I'm not sure if they have it on Android, but uh, it's called Time Shifter. This is one I used uh, um, basically the past month or so as I tested out the uh, limits of what the human body can do and visiting every single time zone, it feels like. Um, but uh, it, it's a pretty neat app where it, basically you put in all your uh, flights where you're headed <clears throat> and it'll give you suggestions on when you're supposed to sleep, when you're supposed to take caffeine, um, if you take melatonin, exactly when to do that, when to get natural light. Um, so it kind of coaches you through everything to um, do away with, you know, the effects of jet lag. And I can say it works pretty well, as long as you can kind of stick to the schedule. I had a hard time sleeping on the plane back from Sydney, Australia. I had a real bad sinus infection, but um, I think if it wasn't for that, I'd, I would have been fine. Um, so anyway, check that out, time shifter. And then uh, the other thing I just realized, probably we won't probably have this uh, episode out before the early, um, the early thing with the Google domains. If you've not been aware of this, the .dev domain is available. So there's a lot of people trying to get that. Um, I'm trying to decide if hand.dev is really worth the price tag because hmm. Jason.dev is gone. Um, but I feel like I'm probably gonna let that one go. But if you're wanting to get your .dev uh, domain name, that now's the time. Yeah. I've seen a lot of conversations with folks that are talking about doing their name .dev slash rel for their like homepage. Interesting. So, hmm. Right. Right. That's a whole other episode. Personal websites, branding websites, personal we'll go branding. there another time. Yes. It's not like .com. We not, is .com not good enough anymore? <laughs> does, any, does, any, does anyone even not .com me. anymore? We ran out of .com. Everybody parked them to try and sell them for their dream $15,000 domain. Meanwhile, they just keep paying in because no one's going to buy a $15,000 domain. Yeah. No one wants turtlebutts.com. Oh. .com, the original Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other episode. It is indeed. And on that note, PJ, you want to wrap us up? Sure. Uh, thanks to everybody for uh, listening to another wonderful episode of the Community Pulse. Uh, thank you to Quinn and Aaron for joining us. Uh, we will be back next month uh, with more information and fun. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave feedback on the Google Play Store and the iTunes Store, um, on Spotify. Tweet about us. Send us emails. Let us know what you want to hear or if you're interested in being a guest in an episode. Um, you can find all of our information at communitypulse.io. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.